Hello, everybody. Welcome to Comedy Thrillbros, episode 296. Got a lot of news. Got a lot of information to give out. We're getting closer to that magical 300 well, episode. You know, we were kind of joking where it may not be a big episode, but guess what? It's going to be a fucking huge episode. Yes. So uh, as we said on the spoiler rep last week, the Spectre spoiler rep, we'll make it official on this one because not all of you listen to the spoiler reps. Uh, thanks to a fan, we are, um, he's paying for our plane tickets to Melbourne. So we will be flying there to do, to see a midnight screening of Star Wars The Force Awakens with uh, Steel Saunders at midnight on, um, so Wednesday night, technically 12 a.m. on Thursday, December 17th. And we'll have it uh, up a day early before it even releases here. As soon as that's done, which will be probably 2.30-ish, we're going to go, there's, Steel has set up a bar like down, like next door on the same Mm -hmm. block or something like that. And we're going to do a Steel Wars Comedy Film Nerds uh, Star Wars spoiler app, which will also be our episode 300. Yes. So this is why you guys are the best fans ever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't be. We literally wouldn't be going there without not, you, with, uh, with Eric, our fan. And the, the greatest thing is he wasn't even in Australia. He was in Iowa. He's like, he was like, no, I just want you guys to go. And I'm like, oh, our, thank you. You're great. Right, yeah. You're great. Um, <laughs> well, all right. We're doing it. Unless it's like he wants us to be drug mules or something on the way back. <laughs> we'll work that out. We'll work that out. Um, but yeah, so that is definitely That is happening. a hub of uh, drug activity <laughs> in Iowa. <laughs> Amen. Probably. Yeah. We'll probably just do crystal meth. Yeah. So we're going to do a Sudafed run right. um, for Eric <laughs> in Iowa. Um, so that is so cool uh, that, that that is definitely happening. Many of you have asked like on Twitter, hey, are you guys coming? It is happening. Yes. We, the tickets have been, plane tickets have been purchased. Mm-hmm. Hotels have been reserved. It is happening. Um, and we even confirmed with Steel. He, he knows we're coming. Steel knows we're coming. We're not just going to show up. <laughs> hey, buddy, um, is it cool? So Steel is aware of it. So uh, now we have to just email. Uh, I'll email CJ and Dean. CJ, and CJ Dean Johnson and, and Dean Hagelin to make sure they uh, they can travel to Melbourne yeah. that day. I'm going to have a Skype call with Steel, and we're going to iron out like the how the show flow is going to go. Yeah, we'll be releasing the, all the details when we have them about the show. And but it's but it's going down. Some of you said you already are going to Steel's. Uh, show that whatever three in the morning we're going to be at that show we will be there then you'll need to do nothing yeah you, you have done nothing other you've already where, purchased your other than wear your show. comedy film nerd shirt to the show that's the only thing you need to do uh so that is definitely happening uh, i also want to say um very sorry i had to cancel i put this online but i'll say to you guys i had to cancel my uh tour to uh vietnam and cambodia um so uh, Stephen Hallcrow had helped set that up uh, through Cambodia, but it uh, wasn't possible because uh, Earbuds has to get finished. It's a little bit behind. No emergencies, but just composing music takes a little longer than normal. And you needed to be in the same country. I needed to be in the same the, country. Uh, other people working I needed on to it. sit. I was literally sitting at the composers yesterday, Andy Creighton from the World Record, and we'll be sitting with uh, Tawan, our colorist, uh, doing color correction this week, and then also uh, talking with uh, Dave Schmidt from Acapella Audio with the final sound mix. So that's the priority. I'm so sorry. Many of you emailed about wanting to come to those shows, but uh, I apologize. But Shanghai didn't get canceled. Shanghai, be Beijing and Shanghai. I am still going to Beijing December 3rd and Kung Fu Comedy in Shanghai December 4th and 5th. Um, so if you live in China or you want to fly from... Uh, Ho Chi Minh City. <laughs> I'm sure that's a quick flight. Um, uh, check that out. Um, so uh, thank you for that. Well, we've got a lot to talk about. 
talk about today, we've got, uh, we're going to talk about All Things Must Pass, The Rise and Fall of Tower Records, Knock Knock, Spotlight, and uh, I'm really excited about our guest because uh, we've known him for a very long time, but haven't seen him in a while, and he has a new film to promote. And ladies and gentlemen, writer, producer, (gasps) and now filmmaker, Uh ladies and gentlemen, Rob Cohen. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sounding like a robot, oh. like an AI. Yes. Oh. I find that's the safest way to get through my day emotionally. <laughs> Feel nothing. Um, now, Rob has worked on um, the Mark Maron show. He's worked on Big Bang Theory and a bunch of uh, television programs and Jamie Kennedy Experiment. Yes. Too. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he's going to be talking about his new film, Being Canadian. Uh, we'll be talking about that after we talked about all these other great movies because I, re- you know, I'll tell you, I was really excited about this Tower Records documentary, and okay. I-, I haven't seen it yet, but I want to hear what Rob has to say. But I do want to say it was one of those things where growing up in Philly, that was like the big record store that everyone would go to and get their CDs. And then when I moved out to LA, I'm like, oh, you guys have a Tower Records out here, mm-hmm. and uh, it was even larger. So it was like it was one of those things where you're in there and you think, well. This is a giant chain. It's packed. How could things possibly go wrong? Even if the music industry does implode, Tower Records isn't going to go anywhere. Cut to, they're gone. Well, there's (laughs) one, right? The one in Hollywood? Isn't that like the last one? No, that's the fake one. There is one store left, I think, in Japan. What's the one in Hollywood? That's a fake one for the movie. The one on Sunset? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They they set that up just again for for the film. It's a promo. But I know I've been in there, the one right next to the Arclight. Oh, no, that's Amoeba that's Records. Amoeba. Oh, that's Amoeba. I'm yes. an idiot. Okay. Yes. Amoeba is thriving. Yeah. <laughs> they're not worth a movie. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're, uh, yeah, they basically filled the void. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're from Philly? Mm-hmm. What do you think of Sam Bradford? That's a sports thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure this will all be cut yeah, out. He's I, wait, quarterback uh, of the Eagles. Oh, it's a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. He's a disaster. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> asking Chris about the yeah. sports is like asking right. me about. A I was video racking game. my head. I'm like, what movie was that? Was that <laughs> yeah. <from?"> <laughs> is he a called, video game called, designer? Yeah. Yeah. The shittiest trade ever. <laughs> Episode one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I didn't mean to derail things with sports and man. No, that's all right. Yeah. It's, well, if you talk to Graham, you'll be all right. Yeah. yeah. All it's right. like it's like, but don't talk to him about um, the Hobbit. Yeah. So oh, yeah. yeah. Then I'll turn you out. Okay. Um, just like Chris just did to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've all drawn our boundaries early on. So tell us about the movie. Uh, we'll let you go first. Um, all Things Must Pass, The Rise and Fall of Tower Records. Sure. Uh, you know, I am from Canada, and when I, I'd heard about Tower Records, and when I would come down here to L.A. to visit my cousin who lived in the Valley, I would go to Tower Records because, like you said, it was this entity. It was like right. this incredible place that was like a social scene but also just endless records and then endless mm-hmm. cds and uh then sadly went away and when this movie was coming out colin hanks directed it i was really excited to see it because you want to know the inside story of what happened to mm-hmm. tower records and i thought the movie was good uh it just it felt like it chronicled three quarters of what really happened to this company but um the amazing part of it is you get to see a, an iconic representation the way Sound City was uh, of the music business and how they had no foresight as to what was going to happen. And uh, the characters that worked there, like I just remember going to that one on Sunset we were talking about 
and I would hang out there for hours just browsing the racks and just seeing the people that would come in at two in the morning. And right. there are performances there too. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw um, the first performance I saw at Tower Records on Sunset, I think was Kiss, <laughs> like in an acoustic set. <laughs> and the last performance I saw there was Bob Hope. Wow. What? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was signing copies of a book and he was there in the middle of the racks with his daughter sort of guiding him because he was ancient. And uh, it covered the spectrum of everything. I just, it was like, and he had like star spangled banners behind him. And, uh, but it, it was an amazing place. It, I just thought, and I thought the film had definitely the, the spirit of that. Well, I, Cause I'm looking at who they interviewed. Like they interviewed, you know, Dave Grohl and Chris Cornell and Chuck D and, and, David Geffen and stuff like so what were their Elton John what was sort of their takes on why this why it went away yeah I mean other than the obvious of like oh right. everything got digitized and people right. mm-hmm. you know right. took the music but you whatever. don't you, we don't want to give too much away mm-hmm. right not movie. too much but just give some I, I guess. think the general feeling is that uh, the guy who created Tower Records um, his dad had a pharmacy in Northern California called Tower Drugs and his son wanted to start selling 45s next door. The kids locally, this was in the 50s, went crazy. So he said, I want to start my record company called Tower Records. And it just exploded. And there wasn't a place that the young people of America could go to have a large selection of records, but also listen to them for free in these listening booths mm-hmm. and then have performances from some of the artists. And so to answer your question, as it grew and expanded very quickly, people like Elton John would go there to buy records and stock up on their collection. So in the movie, Elton John shows up in a Rolls Royce and he's getting triples of things and his butler has a list and they're just crossing things off. And he would just load up for his different houses and buy stuff at Tower Records. But if you were a customer, you see Elton John there buying records. And it just, it's, it seemed to me when I was there personally, but in the movie, it was like this great clubhouse that had this Venn diagram of the time and sort of being in LA on sunset. That was one of those rare LA. LA on sunset too, uh, in the eighties and even nineties. But I remember coming to visiting LA in the eighties when I was in college and going to my roommate's uncle took us to like the Rainbow Room on mm-hmm. Sunset. Right. Mm-hmm. And Billy Joel and Axl Rose, who uh, they were, Guns N' Roses was at the, the, their zenith. Right. Mm-hmm. This is like 89, 90. Like him and Billy Joel are sitting at a booth at the Rainbow Room talking. And we're seven feet from them. And we're just like, holy shit. Like that Sunset Boulevard yeah. and Tower Records was part of that. Yeah. That whole, like, everyone's just hang all the music people are just hanging out. Now you saw also at the Rainbow Room, these skeevy producers in their 60s with these 19-year-old girls, you know. I'm going to make you a star. Oh, and these girls like, you look rich, you know. (laughs) So that was really cool. Thank God that stopped. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank God dirty old rich men have no interest in hot, young, impressionable girls. And hot girls uh, just wanting a sugar daddy. That's ended. That's (laughs) when they're done. Um, I'm done. Uh, so is the, so the, the movie then obviously spends a lot of time on the history of it and, and, and then it it spends a lot of time on the history of it. And I think why people should see the movie is it has these great interviews, like you were saying, but you can track a business the same way we were talking about your business. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
you can see the growth of it. And because we know what happened to it, you can sort of, you in your gut, you kind of want to warn them, like, don't overexpand. Don't do this. CDs might not be the best thing for you, like with Sound City, but you know that they didn't know that at the time. And right. Because the music industry is notoriously short-sighted. You can start to see these storm clouds gathering. And the great thing they do in the movie is Tower Records, the store, becomes a character that you're rooting for, but we know what happens to the character. Mm -hmm. So then how do you, I mean, Colin Hanks has directed, according to his IMDb, one other documentary short. So this is his first feature length Mm -hmm. documentary that he's directed. How did you take him as a, as a doc director? The thing that I missed the most was seeing him on screen. You never, ever see him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't know if all the interviews are done by him. It sounds like it maybe different people covered some different interviews, but uh, the guy who's the star is the guy who created Tower Records. He's this older gentleman now, and he's such a personality that you really are sort of Russ Solomon. Is yes, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you really are sort of caught up in his lifestyle. And uh, I think Colin Hanks does a good job. You know, I mean, I have minimal experience in the doc world, but it is hard as hell because you're collecting fragments over years and then trying to make them into one coherent story right uh, just with earbuds the uh you know podcasting is a relatively new medium and yet we're still dealing with a bunch of archival footage sure. and photos and uh you know b-roll that we didn't shoot and it's it's still like any documentary you yeah. have all those elements yeah. that you need Especially, to put together yeah. yeah you can just imagine then like when you're dealing with a film like this that is starting back in the 50s yep and you're getting archival footage and photos and yep. interviews and and that is just got to be just the the licensing the the the, the clearance yeah. documentation <laughs> the music the clearance on oh, the music shit. movie yeah. I can't whatever Colin Hanks did was heroic because they have all the music they have footage of performances uh, they have old archival footage of you know, the building going up, like they luck out and have footage of people building a tower records in San Jose uh, that somebody filmed. And you know the timeline, but you have to add on the pieces to make the timeline interesting. And so Mm -hmm. it's definitely like a nostalgia piece. Even if you didn't grow up around tower records, I think it's, it's, it's like uh, the decline of Western civilization. Uh, have you seen those the Penelope uh, Spheres movies? The uh, yeah, about the, like there was like the metal the years, metal years, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. And those to me are are the same thing because that's a time everybody knows existed, but it'll never happen again. But it's a window into people who, at the time, it was the greatest thing in their life. And I think Tower Records has the same vibe. Yeah, and then it also, I'm sure. Again, you don't have to be a music fan to sort of watch just. What happened to the music industry in specific Tower Records happened a lot of places. Yes. A lot of businesses mm-hmm. just got overexpanded over, yeah. or whatever, mm-hmm. or just mm-hmm. didn't want to address everything was going digital. And and that you also you can see the companies that did survive. Borders. Yeah. yeah borders. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And they went, oh, and they 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 fought hard. We're not getting mm-hmm. and it's like, no, you guys should have embraced it. You good you should have I mean, and now it's interesting because like iTunes and um, what's that? Uh, what's the app that um, Audible? Not well, Audible. Spotify. But what's the one that you? Li- you what's the song? You <laughs> just gonna lift the apps. Yeah. <laughs> I bank. Yeah. Uh, Kleenex. Kleenex. Yeah. Uh, Angry Birds. Yeah. <laughs> 
Major League Baseball. Yeah. Is that one? Is that yeah. the pancakes? Uh, <laughs> I love pancakes. <laughs> but the one where you um, Shazam. Yes. Like Shazam and iTunes now, like knowing having some friends that are in the music business, they're like, you know, and actually we aren't getting crushed as hard as we were. We right. are seeing some, because they made it so convenient. Right. There are still people like, I'm getting mine for free. I'm not doing that. Or at the very least they go, well, I don't want to pay, you know, 10 bucks for it to download an album, right. but I'll give this subscription service some money or I'll right. do Pandora for free. And the, so you're still getting, the artists are actually, they found these other revenue streams. And it's funny because you want to say, like you want to go back on the time machine and go, guys. Yeah. You know, like when the movie industry said, oh, VHS tapes, no, no, no. And then went, oh, wow, it's this yeah. giant revenue stream yeah, that right. we, mm-hmm. that's endless. And, and, and how movie- We already have DVDs. Why do we need Blu-ray? Yeah. yeah. But it was the same with, uh, I mean, the three of us obviously have the answers to every problem. So yeah. like Star Chamber. Uh, Star Chamber, great reference. Thank Michael you. Douglas movie. Thank you. Uh, best slide in a movie. Hal Holbrook, best slide oh, ever. Yeah, Hal Holbrook. Uh, great Hal Holbrook. That movie's great. By it's the way. fucking mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. The opening scene. In oh the, yeah. In the court, they show the crime, yep. and then the courthouse. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's they, a great movie. They show the dumpster with the. the well, this yeah. this technically this isn't. Oh, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. We should just talk about that. Oh, yeah. I could talk about the Star <laughs> Chamber all day. The, uh, the you you bring up a great point because even the way that uh, the movie studios felt about television. When it's coming in, they're like, ah, it's not a serious threat. We're not going to do this. And then TV was like, we're sticking around. And then suddenly the movie studios realize, oh, my God, more people are going to watch TV than they are going to the theaters. We have to make movies for television. Like it, And right. the same with broadcast networks now is why would you, generally speaking, want to watch NBC when for $8 a month you can go to Netflix or Hulu and customize what you watch without Whenever you want. Without any yeah. commercials mm-hmm. and really amazing content. Yes. Like you can Incredible see, choices. Like Orange is the New Black or Daredevil. This would never be on network TV. Right. Ever. Right. But, and, if, but if you said a few years ago, like you just said, mm-hmm. uh, there's this place called Netflix that you go and you watch, you know, the Blues Brothers 10 times a day. They are going to explode and become not only the number one place to watch content and movies, it will be the classiest place. Like people will be begging to do shows with Netflix. They would have laughed you out of the room. Right. But now you Oh, can Netflix see... is going to win Emmys. Yeah. Oh, no, they're not. Yeah, yeah. Amazon is going to win Emmys. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. But but it happens, what, the, obviously. What, the, the place where we get books? They're yeah. going to win an Emmy? Yep, for <laughs> yeah. books. For, yeah. for what? <laughs> and a wow. discount toaster? Yeah. yeah. First <laughs> Emmy for books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, you know the Golden Globes. I think the they're going to change the titles from television series to series. Really, they're not really. Well, I think they will eventually because really? they're not going to be on television. It's not anymore. a series, but that, I it's think not a TV series. But rather. I think that's genius because it it the the correct people that realize this is another wave of technology that people may embrace. You get on that wave, and the ones who historically always lose are the, the ones fight. who scramble at the end. We'll go, we'll go all this wave is now, I don't want to get on it, or yeah. we'll beat it, or we'll fight it, or, or whatever. Or just do quality programming. Mm-hmm. NBC or CBS or anybody, if they really wanted to do quality programming, they have 80 times the money these other places. Of course. I, I think they're stuck in the old mindset, well, they're, they're getting their asses kicked. Well, they're beholding the, the Nielsen ratings. Yeah, and the advertisers. The advertisers right. are telling, mm-hmm. are dictating. I mean, the thing we love about podcasting, and we explore this in, um, in earbuds, but- there's a lot of advertisers in podcasting, yep. but they're not telling us what to say. They have say. no control over right. the content. They, unless you shit directly on their product. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're not going to care. 
Yeah. Like you can say whatever you want as long as you, and they're even saying, just hit these talking points. Yeah. You don't have to read it word for word. Right. And so it's like, sure. And because they realize there's just metrics and numbers. Totally. As long as we're getting the numbers. I saw something interesting. So you're talking about, I was watching over the weekend. I think I was, I was like cleaning my house and I had a football game on in the background. I think it was, and it was CBS, I believe. And I heard CBS say, you know, promote this new show. And I'm like, oh, never going to watch, never going to watch. And then they're like, or you watch it at, you know, Thursday at eight or CBS online, download it to our app. And I was like, oh, you guys are finally starting (laughs) to wake up. Yes. And then maybe you should make shows that don't have all these nonsensical restrictions and these time commercial breaks and all this. And they're starting to do it. Yeah. But they have to. Right. They have to. But also the, the amazing thing to me is you go like in the tower records um movie the owner of the company is a very smart guy mm-hmm. and he can see that there's a marketplace instead of just going to the mall to like the record store that i grew up with was this place called sam the record man oh we had a sam goody oh sam goody yeah, yeah. Sam goody. yeah. Mm-hmm. and it was the most sterile place ever yes and there would be uh, employees you know like half-assed stapling a Tom Petty poster up by the wall. <laughs> right. And just mm-hmm. like, I guess so, you oh, know. We don't said, come around here no more. Yeah, <laughs> I'm playing Jerry Rafferty. And a mm-hmm. uh, tower was like uh, a hangout, like a scene. Right. And the, the really smart thing, I, I just finished working on this Netflix show. It was the polar opposite of a broadcast show because they don't get in your face. They don't overnote you, but they know internally their metrics. So they know what is needed to fund their programming because they know their fan base. And I think Tower Records knew they had a massive fan base. They just didn't sort of go with the flow. Cultivate them. Exactly. Mm. And it, they sort of assumed this is going to go on forever and people are going to come here. And music has gone on forever. It's just you don't go to the record store to go to a listening booth to listen to a record. You can just do it at home right. at four in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is an interesting thing. Now, Amoeba is still a scene here in L.A., though. That's yeah. like the one place because it's got, you know, floors and floors, listening booths. They have shows there still. It's like right. it fills the void that Tower had, but it's still not the same. There's literally one. But you have to plan yeah. that. Like, it's, right. it's really a military operation to go to Amoeba and park and do it. And once you're there, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it is a whiff of the old Tower. But I think that what Colin does so well in the documentary is – if you didn't know anything about Tower, you, you're yearning for the Tower Records experience that was there, and, it, and, but it's right. gone forever. Right. right. Well, it's, it's interesting because there is a little bit of a resurgence in vinyl. Yeah. And there are these little vinyl shops that are popping up, and people are going to them. And bands are releasing new records on yeah. vinyl now. Yeah. Vinyl stuff. Comedians. We carry Dana Gould's. Yeah, uh, Dana Gould's on vinyl. Jonah Nobody Ray. listens to him. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jonah Ray did a did a vinyl album. I would mm-hmm. I would be interested in doing some unique vinyl thing. So it is this little niche. Well, we have the shipping boxes now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll just make products that fit our shipping supplies. Yeah, that's all you need to do. <laughs> Create all of your art that way. Yeah. Like, exactly. yeah. Can it fit into a shipping mm-hmm. box? Hey, fit the suit. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the Johnny Bravo yeah. of, of albums. Okay, I get it. And this is just a pitch, but if you were to make a Star Chamber that could fit in one of your boxes, oh, I would love to order I'd that. That would Star be really Chamber. cool. Let's remix. Be a little mini slide. Oh, mm-hmm. God, that'd be awesome. Um, oh, that's really cool. All right. Well, I'm gonna, I want to check. And where did you see that? Was it in a theater? Or did you see it on demand? Or? I saw it at the ArcLight. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, Very the cool. first weekend it came out. Nice. Just okay. that, because I, I love movies like that. And uh, again, Sound City is another example that I mentioned, but it has that, uh, the same way that Almost Famous to me, even though I wasn't around in that era, mm-hmm. they did such a good job with that movie because you are, you're yearning to have been part of that scene, even though you weren't, which means they did such a great job creating right. a vibe that you wished you were around. Yeah. As opposed to just watching it, or at least for me. But I thought Almost Famous just captured it perfectly where you're like, oh, God, that must have been such a cool time. Yeah. And uh, I think the Tower Records thing has a lot of elements in that day, and it's amazing footage. Oh, cool. All right. Well, I saw Knock Knock. Now, this is the um, horror slash thriller movie that Eli Roth directed and starred Keanu Reeves. Now, I was really... Uh, intrigued by this film because Eli Roth is a very well-known horror director. He just, uh, Green Inferno, I think just came out. Um, although his horror movies are very graphic. And when I think graphic horror, Mike, who goes to see that? Uh, you know, it was funny. Wayne Fetterman wasn't the top on my list, but he came in. Remember he said, I'm like, no, I saw it. And it was, it was pretty graphic. Um, wow. But, uh, one of the things I was wondering about this film is like, you know, granted Keanu Reeves isn't the best actor, but he is a marquee name. Mm-hmm giant movie star with Eli Roth. Why isn't this movie getting like a giant promotion or a giant release? And then I saw the film and now I know why. And uh, too good. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, people are not going to get it. It's too, uh, right. <laughs> shot in it's, it's too meta. Like uh, <laughs> so this is the kind of movie where I was really excited about because it taps into a lot of really interesting things like, um, Here's you've got a um, a father. It's Father's Day. It's right. you know he's the loving husband. He's got he loves his kids and uh, his wife and takes the kids and go away for a weekend. And he's visited by these two hot girls who are soaking wet in the rain. Oh yes. And um, he lets them in, and you know one thing leads to another. Although they do a great job setting it up where he's like he's not. Hey, come on in. I want to have sex with you two lovely ladies. And right. It's like he's very reluctant and every time they get near him he moves chairs mm-hmm. like this I just want to get these girls out. He, he gets them an Uber, but eventually they wear him down and they have sex in the bathroom. And uh that's when the movie starts really um going into the next gear because then they kind of go nuts and um basically or kidnap him in his own home and it's like a home invasion and they're basically torturing him wow. after that as like a like a weird perverted game um i thought you were gonna say they all get together and dehydrate potpourri yeah <laughs> which is a form of torture yeah, yeah. Yes. Let's, let's be clear in a, in a very Horrible. um yes in a very disturbing way Horrible. but the thing about this movie was that i was very disappointed and this movie is like a like what i just described it's like this is like a um uh a stick of dynamite mm-hmm but then the fuse gets wet. Mm-hmm. like So it never really goes uh, off and explodes the way it really should. Right. And I was wondering, and I'm looking at it because it structurally got a little weird. Um, and then I realized as I was watching that there were a lot of production companies in the opening credits. So especially for an indie film, if when there's four or five different produ- production companies, you realize, oh, did everyone have a little say in this yep. script? And yeah. they had stuff to add. And there was some stuff that didn't make sense. Um, but here, here's what I really liked about it. I loved what it tried to tap into, although it didn't really get to it. That kind of anarchistic nature of youth, like two girls out for a party on the mm-hmm. town and like really, and then juxtaposed with the guy who's in his forties, he has kids, he's in a, I mean, that part of his life is over, mm-hmm. but when it shows up at your door, yeah. what, what are you going to do? Right. And then 
when it kind of collides and shit hits the fan, like where does it go from there? You've got basically the 40, he's the old guy and you've got these psychopathic, you know, young girls who are basically tying up, torturing him and making videos and pretty much telling him like it's in the trailer. And this is where I was really intrigued by, like it's a game to them and they're doing like a little quiz, a question and answer. And they ask him, how many guys do you think have survived this game? And he looks at them and goes, none. And they go, correct. So that's like where I thought maybe a really cool mm-hmm. jumping off point would be. Um, but it never gets there. Right. It, never, it never quite gets to where that, that imposing um, threat, even now, I'm going to give a little spoiler here because it kind of got me kind of angry. <laughs> um, spoiler this is alert. spoiler alert. Now, if you are going to watch this movie and you want to be surprised, fast forward a little bit. Okay, the threat has been established. These girls are psychopathic. They're destroying the house. They have them tied up. It looks like they're going to murder him. Um, You have that obligatory part in a horror movie where the neighbor shows up or somebody they work with Mm -hmm. comes in, discovers what's going on. Basically, they they kill him, Mm -hmm. get rid of him, and then they go back to him. Um, Still spoiler, I want to – because this is what really ruined the movie for me is at the end they reveal with him um, that it's all a game and they were never going to kill him. Right. Now, wait a minute. You just killed the bystander that didn't do anything for for nothing. And now you're not going to kill the guy that's the subject of your game. Right. So, you know, that was some weird. Yeah. So some weird note or it was so odd. Like, so it it, it really it sank the entire film for me. Uh, There was a couple of other things that were like really cool. Like, uh, okay, spoiler alert over. You can start listening again if you were fast forwarding. Um, Like you look at he's a suburban dad. He's in a suburban house. He's in a nice house. And. At one point, he's tied up with a garden hose, and they're moving him towards a shallow grave. And it's shot in such a cool way where you like, it's like a metaphor for like suburban, you know. You're uh, dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. your life's like, over. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, you know, yeah. that, that, that trap that, you know, you feel like you're in sometimes as a middle-aged man with kids and where that part of your life is over. So there wasn't enough of that. It didn't dive deep enough into those things. And it could have. Everything was set up so perfectly, but it just, it, it unraveled. And it, it almost, and it was weird because when you see Eli Roth, on a on a credit, you realize well this is gonna really push the envelope, push the push the um, edge of what is going to be watchable, like in a horror, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a sense of horror, and it never got there. So it was really like it was really it's almost like someone was literally sitting on Eli Roth. Well, you can't do that. You can't do that. No, we want him to. You know, we want a different ending. And like, right. I yeah, I, I think. I'd like to see the movie that they actually envisioned when this project right. was starting because I think it would have I think it would have been more visceral and would have hit more points. The other thing I didn't like was they played around with uh, Keanu Reeves's character. They start up with him like he's he's reluctant to do this. He's the he's he's in a happy life, but this shows up at his door and he has this breakdown at the end where he's yelling where he's completely remorseless like what am I supposed to do? This was like free pizza. You know, I'm a good guy and I'm like, "Well, no, now you're not a good guy. You have no remorse and anyone that yells how great a guy they are generally is not that great of a person." Yeah. Um but that kind of um it it, it like um, went opposite of everything that was being set up in the first part of the film, that th- this is a good guy that just, you know, got into the situation and now he's paying dearly for it. So I, I don't know. It-, it really felt like the script got noted. Like I would have liked to have seen the original um, vision of it. But I'll tell you, great setup, great premise, even some um, some decent acting by everyone, especially the two psychopathic girls. They were really good. Um, I-, I-, I think I would have liked to have seen the original vision. 
but this is it, it it went off the rails it's too bad did feel you, like a wasted opportunity did you see john wick i did what do yeah. you think of john wick now i thought john wick was good mm-hmm. but one of the things that john wick did have it was a real persistence of vision from start to finish that was somebody's vision of a film. Right. You could tell there weren't that many notes. Right. <laughs> you know, that yeah, was yeah. like that was like, okay, this is what I want to show. And I felt like also Keanu Reeves really had a really good time with that role. Yeah. So I thought it was good. I think it got overhyped a little bit because by the time I saw it, people were saying how amazing it was. Yeah. I'm like, well, it's it's good, but it's you know, it's not that, amazing. Because yeah, when you were speaking about Knock Knock, to me it felt like it's a combination of John Wick and Fatal Attraction. It's and, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. because in John Wick, it's like everybody's telling you what a badass John Wick is. He's the mm-hmm. worst. He's this, right. he's this. Mm-hmm. But he loves his wife. Right. <laughs> so it feels like somebody said, we need to soften you somehow. Right. Even though, mm-hmm. uh, this is not a spoiler alert, even though when John Wick goes on one of the most brutal killing sprees possible, he is doing it uh, for the love of his dead wife. Right. So it's not just, he's not a psychopath. And in Fatal Attraction, uh, Mike, Michael Douglas, uh, Star Chamber, Yes, uh, <laughs> exactly. He, We're uh, gonna review yeah. all of this. Exactly. He he is a lovable, likable dad and husband and everything mm-hmm. else until he does the same thing, and then they do such a great switch where you he admits to his wife he had the affair, right? And then you're terrified for him because Glenn Close is so insane mm-hmm. that even though, and I think at the end, uh, I forget the woman who plays his wife and. Uh, and uh, we'll look it up. Yeah, but she's, it's, very, uh, <laughs> she's very pretty. Yeah, <laughs> she's the one that actually kicks Glenn Close's ass. Yes, so she mm. ends up killing the villain, and it it feels like that's also like a note, so that Michael Douglas can be redeemed somehow in that movie. Uh, and it feels like in Knock Knock, it's the same thing. Like Keanu Reeves does do something naughty mm-hmm. in his house. He violates their home, and then somebody along the way goes, "We need this guy to." somehow and they rewrote the beginning yeah, or whatever like exactly. like it would have been uh, like like go one way or the other like you yeah. know as he's fighting for his life he is he has some remorse or yeah. his marriage was breaking up he always felt trapped and he was yeah. like yeah i'm glad I, I i fucked you two young ladies i'm gonna yeah, you know yeah. i'm gonna die but yeah, i'm not fun. sorry yeah yeah so because i was gonna Ann leave archer, my wife and anyway. archer and archer's uh, the woman plays his wife so so i felt like they tried to kind of just go in all these different directions when they didn't have to i mean this yeah. was this was like set up for just a great low budget creepy sexy thriller like all the and it and like, make you personally go oh god what yeah, would i do yeah, yeah exactly that kind of like uh and like now you know if i see two beautiful women at my door i'm not gonna open the no, door you yeah you can't let them in no, they're really the beautiful yeah they, and they're soaking wet and they're just oh we just need and to use the phone free pizza yeah free pizza yeah and they, and they bring pizza well then yeah. what are you gonna do well, yeah well you don't yeah. want to be rude yeah yeah, yeah, yeah exactly not there's not much pizza. you can do so it's agreed uh, yeah <laughs> So <laughs> there's some culture, cultural things with yeah. pizza. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think the best thing to do with this movie is uh, watch the first 45 minutes and then write your your the other 45 minutes on your own. Okay. And then uh, I think That's you'll be a, a little game. more happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But again, it, it's you know it wasn't it, it just went off the rails. It wasn't horrible at a, um, all the way. It had a great premise, great setup, but it was just really disappointing. All right. Second half. Okay, so I saw Spotlight. Now, this is uh, a movie that is uh, definitely angling itself to be an Oscar contender for Mm -hmm. many different things. Uh, It's about the true story of how the Boston Globe in 2001 uncovered the uh, Catholic Church's uh, pedophile priest cover-up. Got it. 
Um, and it's directed by Tom McCarthy, who wrote Up and directed Win Win and a couple other. He also did The Cobbler, but that's not his fault. Right. Um, <laughs> Can't hold that against yeah. him. Yeah. And he also, when I was looking this up after I saw the movie, I was like, holy shit, he was in The Wire. He played the young journalist in one of the, like season four or five of The Wire, mm-hmm. uh, which I really like that character. So this movie is really, it's really good. All the acting is amazing. Uh, in my opinion, he did an excellent job of directing. To, to, so everybody in it, Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton, Rachel McAdams, uh, even John Slarity, uh, they all are, their characters are all Irish Catholic that grew up in Boston. Right. But he did a good job. They didn't have the like wicked smart, you know, like they, their, their, their Boston dialects were real subtle. And some of them weren't that distinct, or you just heard little words here and there. So it wasn't like the town. No, it wasn't right. the town. It wasn't a bunch of guys in Southie just shooting each <laughs> right. other. Um, but so, so it was interesting. Um, and Spotlight is the name of this section of the Boston Globe that does these long-term investigative reporting. And they kind of, it's they set it up early on that Spotlight has, you know, they they kind of are, they they operate sort of separately from the rest of the paper. They don't reveal what's going, like the whole, everyone in the whole rest of the paper is like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, nothing, nothing, right. nothing. Um, but it's really intriguing because um, it shows how this, I was raised Irish Catholic, right? So, and I started hearing about Catholic priests in when I was in Chicago in the 80s doing this. And the problem, and the Catholic Church has always gone, oh, a couple of bad apples, which is complete bullshit. That's and they like just, an Italian accent. Hey, yeah. hey this guy. Right. Um, and they just move them around. They just move them yeah. around. Mm-hmm. And that was the whole point of this investigation was um, how high up did they know? Pretty high up. Right. I mean, my opinion, the fucking Vatican has known about this shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, now how, they, could, how could they not? How could they not? And yeah. now they send them to, you know, Africa and poor third world countries where no one will do anything. It's right. so great. Um, so this gets into that. And it's, it's, it, it, the thing that they did a good job of is, is you saw how the whole sort of city of Boston is a little bit culpable because everybody's like, wow, you can't fight the church. Right. The opening scene in a police department, you see how institutionalized this cover-up is from mm. everybody. And that's kind of the great, the, the way they do these, these scenes is, is everyone is wrestling with the, well, I don't want to fight the Catholic Church, but oh my God, this is horrible. And holy shit, am I a part of this? Because it's like, there's like, well, we brought up the case against this one guy back in the 90s. Right. And we sent it to the Boston Globe and it was put on page 20, you know, and there's all that stuff. And so um, Michael Keaton plays the editor, the head of of Spotlight. He's awesome. And Mark Ruffalo was sort of young and not young, but he's sort of the like, the hothead, like, Mm. and and it's sort of like... um, Michael Keaton is kind of, you know, you can, he doesn't say this, but you get this vibe of like, well, I need a reporter like this, but he's also a goddamn pain in my ass, right. <laughs> you know? Um, but you see everybody, Rachel McAdams, my Nana goes to church three days a week and, you know, reads the hymnals, darling, and all that, you know, and it's like, how do you, 
No one wants to admit this. Right. No one wants to say this thing that is so ingrained in all of their lives. And we Easter and we take our kids to communion and then we do the church mass and nobody wants to say this. And um, it's great. Agony. I was, I was, this subject makes me really angry mm-hmm. um, as it should. Anybody, as it, should. As it yeah. should. Anybody. And part of like, I've, I've brought this up to people in the past. Like I, I never sort of let it go with the Catholic church. And people, I've heard people say, well, you, you must have been molested. I was like, do I need to be to be offended by this? Like, is that's, and that's part of the, mm-hmm. the greatest gift the Catholic Church ever gave to me personally was excommunicating my mom when we got divorced and she pulled us out of Sunday school. Wait, your parents got divorced and they excommunicated? Well, she went, they didn't formally do that, but she went to the church. My mom grew up. You mm-hmm. go to the church. Yep. You, you, the church is a part of you. It helped, and she was like, oh, I went through this divorce. And the church was like, well, Divorce is not allowed, so we can't help you. And she went, oh, so all here's right. your money back. Fuck off. Like everyone's, she goes, we're all done. Pulled us out of yeah, Sunday I was going to say, if they officially excommunicated her, she must have done something. Right, they, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they just sort of turned their back on Yeah, it. yeah. That was her, more of a shunning. It was more of a shunning. Yeah. A little more of a shunning. Um, she should have. I wish she would have got fully excommunicated. <laughs> she should find another hot mom and go to Keanu Reeves' house. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> From there. <laughs> yeah, it's free and then, pizza. Yeah. Right. And then create their own uh yeah. Catholic Church Star Chamber. Right. <laughs> and, star hunt, chamber. and hunt these guys down. <laughs> ding 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 ding. Um but the thing about it is like so I by age nine I was out of the mm. of the the Catholic cult. And uh but you know, I went to high school, I played football with guys on my high school team who all went to Catholic junior highs. You know, and so the question that is asked in this film in various ways and very subtle ways and why I think Tom McCarthy did an excellent job is everyone's like, they're all sort of fallen or they call themselves lapsed Catholics and they all go, it could have happened to me. There's this great scene where Michael Keaton is talking to, you know, he went to this prestigious Catholic high school and, you know, he's like, this one guy was molested. He was on the hockey team and he was molested by the priest there and, and, and he's talking to this big booster and they're all in this room kind of, and you also see how they quiet, ah, you know, a, you know, the, the, the bishops, right. Right hand man comes in, puts his hand on his shoulder. Let me buy a cocktail. Let's get on the same page and you know, right. a couple bad apples and, you know, and you see how they sort of weasel quietly maneuver, mm. you know, and the veiled little veiled threats and stuff like that. But there's this great scene where Michael Keaton says, to this booster that's like, come on, don't make a big deal out of it. And whatever the guy's name is, like, you know, hey, Tommy, what did you play? Because I played football. Because I was on the track team. This other guy was on the, on the hockey team. I guess you and I just got lucky. And the guy just kind of stops. And that's why it's great. And it's a true story. And mm-hmm. I think about that. I guess I just got lucky. My brother and I got lucky. <laughs> yeah. Guys I grew up with got lucky. Maybe some of them didn't and yeah. don't want to talk about it. And so it's like, so it, it affected me personally, but stepping aside from my own personal stuff with it, it's a well-made movie and the acting in it. And it's really, there's not a lot of big speeches. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of just like John Slarity and, and Michael Keaton are just these crusty old news guys that are just like, oh, I push the story, get the story. You know, it's just these quick like, hey, I got this information. And he's like, oh, great. Right. So, did yeah. They, do they are they in on it, or is everybody discovering the problem at the same time? Well, that's that's the that's the thing that's so amazing about this is 
they're discovering, everyone's discovering the problem and everyone kind of doesn't want to discover the right. problem and everyone isn't in on it, but they, they all can kind of, well, a couple of them can sort of look in the mirror and go, fuck. Right. Hmm. Now, how is like the pacing for this film? Because whenever you have a movie that covers kind of like true events, uh, true events mm-hmm. you, sometimes the pacing suffers, especially because you know where it's going and what's going to happen. But, you know, a lot of times the, the better films have great pacing, even though you know where it's going, you're on the edge of your seat the whole time anyway. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time because they, this, is the, this is how to do these true stories correctly, in my opinion. We all know from the outside when the story broke and the fallout from that. Mm-hmm. But we don't know how it was gathered. So right. to me, what I always like these stories is you're getting a dramatization of how did they, how do you get this? And what's the, what's the, the, uh, the jockeying for position down at the courthouse to get the records. And, right. you know, like that's mm-hmm. all the stuff. And, you know, just like, let's say, look at, doing earbuds or running the festival. There's all, not that there's like shady backroom deals, but sometimes it's not a phone call or an email. Sometimes it's like, we've had conversations where it's like, well, we got to go talk to that guy one-on-one or whatever. So, and this is just to do something fun, you know, to do something cool. So, but, so why the pacing to answer your question is to me was great. And why I was on the edge of my seat the whole time is because you see them, track down like you know what's going to happen but how they do it is what's intriguing and what keeps you watching and you see all of these great actors go and then there's all these great character actors that they that they got and you're just like oh shit and here's a scene with and all these cagey you know crusty irish boston people just to you know get up with you know whiskey for breakfast and just you know like you just feel that boston like yeah you but it know? sounds like it's a perfect representation of that world mm-hmm. uh which which is half of the story is just that atmosphere uh of people that the way they would react or not react to an obvious problem like everybody knew it but it's just certain people dealt with it by ignoring it and others a smaller margin it sounds like really wanted to stop it and that's that's the key and that's yeah. why I, I was so impressed by this guy because he I was like Tom McCarthy I go well he's Irish <laughs> he's yeah. probably Irish Catholic I was like did he grow up in Boston I think he grew up in Jersey but you're right he you know my dad and stepmom used to live in Boston so I can't sit here and say I know Boston that well but I got a vi- I got an idea from mm-hmm. it and it just felt like wow I'd like to know talk to someone who like grew up in Boston and was yeah. there that whole time because it really felt to me, at least, is like... Well, why don't you call your friend Joey McIntyre? <laughs> I will ask Joey <laughs> McIntyre. Uh, Dana Gould was an altar boy in Boston. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure he's got some stories, man. And He you may. S- you see the institutionalized aspect of it. Yeah, I-, I thought the director did a really good, really subtle job. And there's times in there where there was like moments that got little laughs. Yeah. At first, I was mad at that, but I realized that was just my own... I was so emotional about this film. But then I realized later, I was like, oh... But that's also Boston too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone's a little bit of a wise ass. Yeah. Right. You know, and you also, and later I went, oh, you needed a little, couple little quick laughs at like some bureaucracy ha-has. Right. Because it's too fucking intense. Yeah, just break the tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to break the tension. So I, I really, I, you know, I want to see more from this director. Cool. Because cool. he took some amazing actors and really- molded them and let them do amazing stuff. So I, I highly recommend wow. this film and it's going to get a lot of nominations, I hope. Cool. Where, where did you see it? 
I saw it at the uh, Landmark on uh, Pico. Cool. Which oh. is a nice theater. All right. Now, uh, Rob, you have a movie coming out. Now, you've been writing and producing television for many years. Yes. And um, when did you come here from Canada? I came here in the 80s. In the 80s. Okay. Yes. And uh, your new movie is called Being Canadian. And what prompted you for make to make this film? Uh, it was a couple things. It was uh, whenever my family or other Canadians we knew would go outside of Canada to Hawaii or different places. I didn't realize it as a kid, but people either knew nothing about Canada or had the most bizarre incorrect assumptions about Canadians. Like it's this mysterious country that... It's uh, so you mysterious. All just, you ice skate to school. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, like the first one I remember was we went to Hawaii uh, when we were little kids during the Iran hostage crisis and the Canadians had just gotten a lot of Americans out through the embassy and there were signs all over uh, Oahu that said free this or that for our Canadian friends. So my brothers and I went to this donut shop and we were like, hey, we, we're here for our free donuts. We're from Canada. And the guy wouldn't sell the donuts to us because he was convinced that Canadians looked like Snow Miser from the <laughs> Rankin Bass commercial. Like, no joke. And he's like, How dare you? He thought we were Americans. And so it went from free donuts to how could somebody possibly think Canadians had icicles hanging off their noses and whatever. And that was sort of the beginning of this uh, experience that I started to have where I would visit different places, a lot of it in the States where they, they just know nothing about Canada or have these strange impressions. So as time passed and... Well, to be fair, though, we don't care. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I commend you for Atta that. boy, Chris. Yeah. I commend you for that. As Americans. Yeah. yeah. Well, why we should we do? Yeah, and we, we don't need we to think. We glory no. in our ignorance. It's <laughs> seriously. <laughs> it's not like the two countries are attached. No. Or no. That we uh, have similar cultures. Yeah, or if, I want to see the, if I want to see the other side of Niagara Falls, I'll get a passport. Yeah. Or yeah. Buy, just go online. <laughs> yeah. Save the hassle. Air Canada's <laughs> food is not that good. Yeah. Um, I watched the hockey in the Olympics every four years. What fucking it. more do I need yeah, to Bob do? Yeah. Doug McKenzie, we yeah. get it. You've got better health care, we know. Take off, eh? But it just started to sort of grow and grow. And then when I moved here, every other Canadian that I would start to meet would have similar, sometimes comedic stories. And then it just mm-hmm. became this overwhelming sort of hilarious burden where people just, it was like, wow, are we really that? Other than your heat miser appearance, what was one or two of the other crazy um, notions that people had for oh, Canadians uh, or, or the ignorance? First, the first day I got to LA, I had my, I drove down here in my car. Mm-hmm. I had Alberta license plates on. Mm-hmm. A cop pulled me over on uh, Van Nuys Boulevard and on the ticket wrote that I was from Atlantis. <laughs> and... I said, Atlantis? And he goes, yeah, your plate. It says you're from Atlantis. And I go, actually, it says I'm from Alberta. And he goes, I've never heard of it. And I go, it's in Canada. And he, you could just see him glazing over. And I, I said, you're, you are more comfortable assuming that I'm driving a 75 Dodge Dart from an <laughs> undersea kingdom than a place that's just north of Montana. And he's like, I don't want to fucking talk about it. And so he, just, he was so frustrated he, that I was talking about this place and he didn't know the license plate that it got me out of the ticket because he said I was from Atlantis. And I mean, there's a million stories, but it would just, things like that would happen. And so the movie really should be like, why are Americans so stupid? It's not just Americans though, because and it's not like Canada is better than anybody else. But uh, I was in uh, Italy visiting a friend of mine who's going to school there. 
and I was standing in front of the Coliseum, and this little man kept running up and pushing me. And I thought he was just being a jerk trying to push me out of the frame. And finally, I'm like, what's your problem? He was worried because he knew we were Canadian because we were talking about Canada, that I was going to melt standing in front of the Coliseum because we are made of ice. That is what he thought. So there's one photo of me in front of the Coliseum. Yeah, and there's a million photos of me like the Flash getting blurred out. And so finally I was ready to kick his ass. It's like, why are you doing this? And he he said, because you're going to melt. The sun is so hot. I'm trying to get you into the shade. So it's crazy and it's not the norm, but it would be those sort of things along with uh, uh, I would never have guessed that like that story like it sounds like you're that making you're made of ice yeah. I didn't yeah. realize that you're, like, <laughs> that you're made of ice but you have he, proof that you're made of ice the thing that I appreciated is he wasn't even with our group he was watching us and listening to us and then decided he had to leap into action because the longer I stood in the sun in Rome in front of the Coliseum, you were in mortal danger he was doing something heroic mm-hmm. so it was so baffling that you had to reverse engineer it but uh you know, or people go like, "You're from Canada. Do you know Fred in Toronto?" It's like, well, no. people do that everywhere. Like they, mm-hmm. they do, Chicago, but, it's, but yeah. it's like it's this. It, uh, the the impetus was it's always either viewed as you forget it, or it's this place that has two cities that I kind of think Mounties drive a beaver around to the maple <laughs> syrup factory, and then I'm exhausted thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, and everyone looks like Dudley Do Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you got amazing interviews. You got Michael J. Fox. You've got uh, Kobe Sanders, Seth Rogen. I mean, Mike Myers, Ben Stiller. Like, you've got a bunch of amazing people in here. How long did it take you to shoot it? It was made over a period of seven years, um, mainly wow. because well, it was off and on. It was not the plan. Um, it never is with filmmaking. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because right. we self-funded it, and um, we all had uh, Colin and Megan, uh, who are Canadians who live here. They were the producers. Uh, we all had day jobs. So I would be working on a sitcom and then there'd be a three-day weekend and we would have for months planned a shoot in New York with Michael J. Fox who lives there or Morley Safer or Malcolm Gladwell, these Canadians we want to interview. So it was really a- Did you get Martin Short? We did. Cool. We did. Um, It was just a planning thing and it Mm -hmm. just took time. And then we had to raise money to keep doing it. And then the edit would start and stop and it was a lot of archival footage like we were talking about earlier. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but the fortunate thing was that we, pe- the generosity of people that we didn't know really helped us get it made because, uh, the people that we did know, we started to ask them and then other Canadians wanted to participate and that really helped us sort of get this snowball effect, no pun intended of, uh, guests in the movie. So I know it's a lot of interviews, but is there like a, a through line where is it like your journey mm-hmm. or something like, like what's the, uh, what, what kind of ties everything together? Uh, the spine of the movie is something we actually discovered towards the end of the shoot, which is my growing up in Canada, thinking it's a great place, but not realizing sort of this misperception outside of Canada. And then when I live in the States, how it builds and builds and becomes this point of frustration for me, so I decided to take a road trip across Canada to make sure that the country that I've been aggressively defending for decades uh, is the same country I remember because I've lived in the States for so long. So it's a road trip, sort of Roger and me was what the model we used, or Sherman's March. Okay. Um, and I start on the eastern coast of Canada in Nova Scotia, and I have 10 days to cross Canada to get to Vancouver where the Canada Day slash 4th of July um, celebration is and i need to sort of figure this out within that time frame so we 
we break it into chapters along the road trip, and then that's where the interviews go. So, so the spine is really me on this sort of quest with a clock to try to figure out, you know, have I been fighting for the wrong thing or am <laughs> uh, <laughs> I right? Mm. You know, Maybe I simple. am made of ice. Maybe. <laughs> Quite possibly. You know. uh, there, we, we had... I'm not going into the sun to find out. <laughs> exactly. But that's the spine of it. And we sort of, that was one of the latter things that we shot because we knew in the interviews what pieces we needed to sort of serve the road trip. And then mm. the road trip itself provided so much more story stuff that we, instead of a straight line, it became sort of a, like a crooked line because... And is it finished, the film? It's done. Where it's, can people see it? Uh, we have been in a lot of festivals and we're on iTunes and Amazon and all VOD right now. Nice. Um, and then, uh, the DVD bill I think will be coming out, um, beginning of the year, but, uh, we went to some great film festivals and we keep getting invited to really bizarre places that have a, a huge sort of sycophantic Canadian <laughs> community like Croatia. Uh, we're going there and, uh, New Zealand. Um, oh, nice. oh, wow. Yeah, so it's been, uh, you know, as you guys know, making a movie is really tough. But, uh, you know, we have a website and it shows you uh, where you can see it now online. And then we'll hopefully have like a Netflix deal or something. But, oh, great. Nice. Um, but yeah, it's, it, was, it was a great, challenging experience. Oh, I'm excited um, to see it. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it is what it is. It's not perfect by any means, but it's just, it's supposed to be fun and very pro-Canadian. Yeah, and you know what? Low budget docs, man. <laughs> it's yeah. just like they take their own time. They take their own time. And uh, I remember t- I was talking to uh, Doug Benson about this at Podfest because yep. you know he's done several. He's produced. He doesn't direct them, but he produced a lot of his own docs. And he's just like they. D- he goes, independent docs just stop. Yeah, you run out of either time or money or yeah. both, and, and then you have to pick up on them. Yeah, yeah. or the, or mm-hmm. yeah, either pick back up or you're just done. Mm-hmm. Or you just go, this is it. This is, you know, this is the, this is what we're doing. Well, that, that's exactly it. Like we, there was chunks of six months where we didn't know what we were going to do because we needed the money or yeah. I was on a show. And then towards the end of it, uh, we edited the movie without the road trip and realized we're screwed unless we come up with this spine and had to sort of reconfigure things. And we literally had 10 days where we could all do this. And if we didn't do it, we'd miss the window and it'd be another year right. mm-hmm. and just sacked up and credit carded it across Canada. Right. And uh, again, life experience was amazing, but exactly what you said, it's like this thing would have just sat on a shelf Yep, and right. it, it haunted me for years. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm sure. Years. That makes me, oh, it makes my skin crawl yeah. thinking about that. Let's try mm. watching it. Your skin will be <laughs> undulating. <laughs> Well, cool, man. Being Canadian. Very cool. Make sure you check that out. Um, DVD and Blu-ray. I am extremely excited for this, um, uh, like a bunch of Blu-rays coming out. Uh, first of all, The Hobbit, Battle of Five Armies, Extended Edition. But more importantly, the entire Extended Edition trilogy is finally coming out. You know, Warner Brothers tries to milk as much money as they can from the fans. They release the, the DVDs, then they release the box set, then they release the extended versions, then they release the box set extended versions. So mm-hmm. always have to wait like another year before you get yep. what, what you actually want. Uh, I know you have no interest in this, but the fans, uh, they're, I, I can't wait to get this trilogy. No, the episode's over. Yeah. Rob and I are going to talk about yeah. why the Carolina Panthers are undefeated. <laughs> I know the answer. It's, it's just like ballsy coaching by Ron Rivera. And <laughs> there you go. I think Cam Newton, it's like, if you don't, if you don't want him to do an end zone dance, keep him out of the end zone, right? Yep. <laughs> 
Great point, Rob. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, Man from Uncle. Oh, now, did you see this yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. I yes. watch it. Mm-hmm. I can't. Terrible. I, it's awful. I, I don't know anyone who saw it. When it was fantastic. Yeah, this isn't even like yeah, get it on DVD. No, don't. There's this. That smell. That reeks of a studio that licensed the title. Somebody called up from the accounting department because you know the title goes away in six months. It's like we got to put something movie. together. Yeah. yeah. And, Probably it was then, like Roger Corman's final uh, uh, Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, where he had to make it before the rights went back. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like th- that one. Where actually, come to think of it, any Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, but it's also <laughs> if you're going to do it, is Army Hammer the best choice? Oh God, like, it's just come the, on. It's the weirdest, wateriest version of something nobody remembers. Yeah, that's Who, it. It's, it's the, did it feel like the casting, well, who's already in England so we don't have to pay for I, travel? I, yeah. I, I mean, and just like the way they promoted it, again, we and we talked about when the episode came up, but you just said it again. Who's lining up for this TV series? Nobody. Like, no one gives a shit. It's like we got Jeremy Renner from McHale's Navy. We start shooting in a week. <laughs> like, uh, I guess. Okay. Yeah. All right. And Car 54, where are you? <laughs> yes. I had that happen to me with the Green Acres movie, actually. Really? Yeah. They asked you to write it? Or? I wrote it. it was, oh, you did write it? <laughs> yeah. A, a large movie studio owned the rights and then got a phone call from the person who controlled the rights and said, in six weeks, we need a script or we're taking it back. And so there was a panicked script that was written. And the people that controlled the rights said, you know what, we changed our mind. We're not going to do it, but we'll, we'll negotiate with you for a million dollars. And so the studio was like, we're not going to do that. So I barked out this script. You knew it was never going to get made. The studio had pissed away all this time and money and then tried to do it again because they were insistent that the millennials really can't wait to go to Hooterville. <laughs> and, uh, they just do it with titles all the time. It's just it's just pointless. It did eventually come out though, right? Some version, some came version out, came yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. But it was like you already know you're just your prediction was correct. No one went to see it. Correct. But you got paid to write a script no one used. That has happened many times. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, we say as as writers, we um, you know, we make a living writing for four people. Yep. You know, a lot of times for uh, exactly. you know, stuff never gets made. Nice. But the next. Um, uh, Blu-ray I'm excited about is the collected works of Hayao Miyazaki. Now, this isn't all the Studio Ghibli movies. These are just the ones that he directed. And there are obviously some amazing films in here. Um, one of the things, it's a little it's a little expensive. It's like over $200. And um, it actually might be cheaper if you just bought the individual Blu-rays because mm-hmm. there's not a lot of extras on it. But um, um, I'll probably buy it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What won't you so, buy? Yeah, I don't know. This is like a big DVD <laughs> week i uh i think the credit card's gonna get a a workout this weekend all right so uh this is um this is like the time now that a lot of stuff starts coming out not only we're seeing more uh releases for awards in the theaters but we're also seeing a lot of like dvds at blu-rays gift packs that were boxes that were held back just in time for you know christmas season so you're gonna i think the dvd cool. blu-ray section is gonna get um bolstered up in the next couple of weeks for sure uh, now we want to talk about the site spotlight and the fan feedback right now cj's review cj johnson's review of man up is up there now this is an interesting movie this is a um a simon Pegg lake bell romantic comedy set in england and lake bell does uh i think you'll be interested in hearing this a British accent. Oh, oh yes. boy. And awesome. Here, here's the thing. I, I, um, let's just say 
CJ's funniest reviews are when he doesn't enjoy the film. And this is one of his funnier reviews. <laughs> and, well, it's, it's funny because I watched this movie on a plane, I think flying to Australia, maybe, and was like, oh, this is a fine plane movie. And then was on a Doug Loves Movies with the woman who directed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked a lot about it and gave out posters. But CJ didn't like it? He did not. He did not <laughs> like it at all. Um, and it's a really funny review. And he goes specifically why it's not a very good film. And I, I was intrigued because when I saw the trailer, I'm like, this kind of looks kind of charming. I might want to yeah, see Simon this. Yeah, Simon Pegg's in it. Yep. Yeah. And then, uh, and then after reading the review, I'm like, oh, this sounds awful. <laughs> what is it? Uh, when you, Man Up, when I was reading it, I thought it was the review of like a Kevin Hart movie or something. Right. <laughs> but what is, who, who's manning up? It, that's Simon Pegg. The um, so it's kind of a play on the title where she's supposed to man up. Uh, like uh, so it's, it's anyone anyone can man up. It's not gender yeah. specific. It's a got case it. of mistaken identity where she it's a blind date, but she's not really her blind date, but she says she is. Got and it. It's, the the director said that it actually happened to her. Some, some she was waiting out in London somewhere because she's English, and some guy came up and said, "Hey, are you whatever Melissa?" And she went, "No, I'm not." And then he walked away, and she thought, "God, what if I would have said yes?" Right. And that was the premise of the film. Mm-hmm. All right. I respect that. But now, what did you think? You saw it. Yeah, it was all right. It was a fine movie to watch on a plane. I enjoyed yeah. it. I, mean, I, I, I was like... Wait, now, to be fair, um, economy plus or business class? No, I had been upgraded in business class. Okay, so, I was so, like, it, do, okay, so it doesn't matter. Where so were you flying right. to? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like the food theater. It's like the food theater, yeah. It's the food theater. Right. It's a, if the seat's that comfortable, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Cares. Yeah, the Graham, movie gets better. The movie gets a pass. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, and also, we got an email. This was a very interesting from one of our fans in Sydney, Australia, from uh, Brad Elmoose. Um, I was recently listening to your spoiler episode of Spectre and wanted to run an idea past you. While I'm a huge fan of the James Bond franchise, I'm not entirely sure how the mythology works as far as each actor who plays Bond. Is 007 or James Bond a designation given to a selected agent? Is James Bond still supposed to be essentially the same guy in each film or does he regenerate like doctor who wow this is a great question i'm going to go with regenerate like doctor who but you never see it on screen um (laughs) i always just took the assumption of they're kind of keeping bond in that same time that same age and and but this is such great nerd, nerd (laughs) discussion that i'm gonna go with uh yeah he's a regenerative a cyber species that sure absolutely yep. brad i like that well i like the doctor who <laughs> um and premiering this week the hunger games mockingjay part two i'm excited these movies get progressively better the first one was uh, each one's better last year i saw this same film um and it's the first movie I ever went to with my girlfriend. So we're going on this Friday. So you so got to finish it up. Got to see the second one. I've up. never seen any of the Hunger Games movies. Aren't, they just seem sort of insane. Like, yes, they're definitely insane. And I've actually read the books. Yeah. Um, the first one definitely missed the mark a little bit. It was the wrong director for sure. Um, but they progressively did get better and they got more on point as to what the books were trying to portray. Right. Um, did the last one need to be two movies? Mm, <laughs> money grab. But, I gotta uh, say, I mean, they, 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 that's such a thing now. They turn that into this right. two-part money grab. Right. And, and I get, too, that like some of these longer books, it's better if you break them up a little bit. But sometimes it doesn't work. I kind of felt like it's such a... I don't know. I kind of felt like it was a little bit justified with okay. this film. Because the, 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 at the end of part one last year, I mm-hmm. went, okay. 
that's a lot of shit going down. Right. And I don't know that you could put this, mm-hmm. the overthrow of this giant, you know. Capital. Capital or whatever. Right. Uh, po- you know, this giant right. political entity with this big military I, it might have taken. It might have been too easy if they just right. kind of like, hey, we blew them up in two hours. Now, yeah. <laughs> now we won. You right. know, sort of the slow demise of a giant. Uh, well, there's definitely. I, I won't give anything away because I've read the book. There's definitely some very disturbing things coming up. Yeah, for sure. Let's see. I, I'm curious to see how much they actually show and keep from the from the uh, books. Don't you find that Josh Hutcherson is just difficult to look at? That he seems sort of like a short, young Frankenstein. <laughs> but he's a baker. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Where you, I've never heard anybody say that. A <laughs> short, that. young Frankenstein. Yeah. I don't think that's, that's probably never, not on his I've resume. I've had yeah. that feeling, but he, he just now seems I do. very small yeah. with this sort of weird blockhead <laughs> with these features that you kind of wonder how he got into movies. I'm overthinking it. I'm overthinking it. Maybe he's Um, regenerating. Yeah, could be. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Doctor Who. Doctor Who Bond. Quite possibly. so I yeah I will definitely see this as well. Um, the dopey love triangle stuff always irritated me because it's so hammered and forced right. in. Uh, especially in the books, it's even worse. It's like wait, you've got a lot of shit going on. Right. I don't think you're worried about which is the best boy right now. Right. Um, your life's in danger constantly. Um, so uh, we'll be going to see that uh, the night before. I want to go on record right now. Too early for Christmas movies. I agree. I'm already angry. And I haven't seen the film yet. And the guy um, who wrote and directed is the guy that did Fifty Fifty. Yes, which I really liked. It's got um, JGL in it. And Seth Rogen. JGL. Uh, it looks like oh, every reason why I hate Christmas movies, but it might have something funny on it. Like there might be some funny scenes. I've got very low hopes for this film. I really, I'm, I watched the trailer and I'm kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, I get it. It's another kind of bro movie, but it doesn't do anything different with. You know, like, oh, it's like bro movie. It's, it's, it, it's, what is that one? Kumar go to White Castle? Yeah. Yeah. It feels like that except just at Christmas. Right. Um, it, it really didn't feel like it did anything different. Like, the, and then I love in the trailer, they try to add that, like, no, it's got a heart too. Like right. that one beat where you're like, no, it's not just a funny, jokey comedy. I'm like, stop, you're over, stop trying to oversell me. I, mean, I, I get it. But they spell it out in the trailer at the beginning of the commercial. It's like, We've been best friends for 12 years. I know. My main man's getting married. So tonight is our last night together. We're going to have the craziest yeah. night. Everything's spoon-fed in the yes. trailer. I, I don't know. And it, it looks like, like you know, and in the trailer, like, all right, he's throwing up at church and right. he's still doing it. I'm like, mm, I, I'm, not, John, I'm not seeing it. Oh Yeah, Jonathan Levine also did Warm Bodies, a movie I really liked. Mm-hmm. But I think what the problem with this movie is and will be is that Christmas movie. Right. It has to have... It's just those beats, ugh. and it, but the, the real spirit of Christmas. Yeah. Who fucking gives a shit? That's like, why I can't wait for Krampus. Yeah, I know yeah. Krampus looks great because Krampus is just like fuck you. Yeah. Every holiday movie that's right. ever been made. So yeah, I think you're right. But hashtag JGL's in it, yep. so it's kind of hard to say no to that guy. It, it is. You watch him in anything. <laughs> um, Carol. Now this is the. Um, Set in 1950s New York, a department store clerk who dreams of a better life falls for an older married woman. And this is the Kate uh, Blanchett movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was, this is definitely Oscar bait for mm-hmm. sure. It's one of those positions like it's going to have strong performances, period piece. It has all it hits all those elements and a forbidden romance. 
Rooney Mara. And, uh, yeah, Rooney Mara's in it. A lot of good lighting. Yeah. He's got a guy uh, shadowy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's period piece, so mm-hmm. everyone's yep. going to have really neat clothes. Yes. Yeah, a lot of production design. Yeah. We'll go yeah. into this. Somebody futzing with their period piece watch. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes. While tea. Yeah. Drinking tea and a clinky. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I love, I'm obsessed with trailers or posters where you can tell that the actor really insisted upon a specific thing. Like in the truth poster, Kate Blanchett has that giant watch where she, you just knew that she was like picking watches out for her character. And like that in her mind typifies, All right, this right. is it. This yeah, is the one. This is the watch guys. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is it. And this, then it's just so prominent. I'm just, this uh, watch will unlock this character. Yeah. It's like, she would wear this kind of watch. Right. <laughs> and the next legend, another uh, period piece, also a drama. And again, looks looking like a little Oscar babe. The film tells the story of the identical twin gangsters, Reggie and Ronnie Cray, two of the most notorious right. criminals in British history and an organized crime empire in the East End of London during the 1960s, 10 years later. Tom Hardy plays both guys. Tom Hardy plays both guys. Which is why it. I'm going to see it. And the yep. trailer is amazing. Like the way the makeup is and the way they interact with each other, you have to be reminded that that's two different, that's one guy. I feel like both. if anybody else were to try to pull this off, I'd be like, I don't know. But yeah. Tom Hardy. I'm in. Yeah. Like, I don't think Keanu Reeves could have done it. <laughs> no, but it looks cool. Yeah. yeah. Better than the other Craze movie that they did years ago. Who did that one? Uh, it was the musicians um, that played the Craze. Oh, right. Uh, but it was two guys that played the Craze. Yeah. Uh, instead of one guy playing two Craze. Oh, I like this. And I think Tom Hardy is the guy to play He's two great. twin brothers. Now, oh, yeah. let's see. Make a prediction now. Nomination for Tom Hardy? No. No. Okay. Done. Maybe not. All right. Wow. Two no's. All right. I, I'm going to go with yes just to buck the trend. All right. Of course. <laughs> all right. I think. But Ed, for which role? Here's what's going to happen. Eddie Redmayne's coming out with the transgender period piece. Yep. Locked in. Uh, all right. So we're already we're already at like four. We're already at four <laughs> slots left. Uh, one or two people from Spotlight are going to get in. Right. Yep. Uh, and then, the, you know, Tom Hanks is going to get in for Bridge of Spies. Right. When's yeah. that coming out? It's already came out. Oh, so we're done. Never we're mind. We're running out of space. It yeah. came out and it's gone? Yeah. Well, it's still in the theaters, kind of. Oh, my God. I want to see that movie. But that's what's going to happen. Right. These guys aren't going to get it. All right. Sorry. Sorry. You don't get extra points for playing two guys? <laughs> <laughs> it might do could it. Could he win? You know, could he be nominated for uh, Best Actor and Best Supporting for <laughs> the same movie? He'll get supporting <laughs> for the for the angry brother, but the lead, nah, he ain't getting <laughs> He may cancel out his own vote when he yeah. <laughs> So, um, all right. Well, that is everything. We want to uh, thank you guys again for supporting the store. And we do want to mention one thing on a more somber note. We've been following what's been going on in Paris and France. And we want to um, just express our support, of course, and to all our fans out there. And also, we always yeah. say to spend money in the store and $20. Uh, this week, don't spend money. Send it to Red Cross and any, uh, any organization, any organization yeah. that's helping out over there. Yeah. And, uh, we, you know, we've gotten... I don't. I don't know how if we got a huge fan base in France, but we have gotten emails from you guys over the years and and orders, and we appreciate it. And we really appreciate it. And you know, if I hope everything's all right. That's an awful thing. That's yep. just a. That's just a so, horrible thing. So uh, thoughts and prayers yeah, with yeah, you yeah. over there. Thanks, guys. Um, so all right. Uh, what the, that's Rob? Where can people find you on the internet? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're at uh, beingcanadianmovie.com. Nice. Great. So check it out, guys. That's an iTunes. Now, do you have your own uh, Twitter handle or anything? Uh, yes. It's uh, Rob is being Canadian. 
is my Instagram, <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. um, beingcanadianmovie.com has everything. Okay, cool. Okay, Go great. to beingcanadianmovie.com to get all the info. And what show are you working on a show right now? Um, I just finished directing a couple episodes, <clears throat> excuse me, on this new Netflix show. Can you announce it? Uh, well, the show's called Lady Dynamite with Maria Bamford. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice. It doesn't come out till April, but it's, mm-hmm. it is, uh, she is phenomenal. And I, I think she's going to become a huge star because of the show. It's, oh, that's great. Uh, Pam Brady and Mitch Hurwitz uh, mm-hmm. created it. It's, it was the most fun job I've ever had. Of course. Cool. But Maria, I, I genuinely think she's going to explode. She um, should. She's really funny. She's amazing. Does, she's really. She, she does an incredible, incredible job. Yeah. Great. This is cool. And Netflix yeah. is and a Netflix, place. Yeah. It's a place to let somebody like, because the network would never figure her out. Right. No. They it's would the, make her do something that like, oh, kind of, and wouldn't, it, mm. it would never work. No, it's so true to her. And she was involved in all the stories and it was a very collaborative process and everybody wanted to be respectful of what you just said, but she's such a unique voice that I think it really captures her and just. As a fan before you, I'm so excited to see her be presented right. correctly because mm-hmm. she's got all her superpowers. Very that's cool. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be awesome. amazing. That's so cool. Uh, all right. Well, that's our episode, you guys. Um, like us on the iTunes and the Facebooks and all that. Yep, other we stuff. appreciate all the good reviews. It definitely helps. Yeah, and following and and liking uh, doesn't cost you anything, and it helps us out. Those numbers mm-hmm. mean something. So. Um, all right, guys, enjoy your week of movie watching. Yes. <laughs> uh, and also, we just dropped the Martian spoiler up finally, so. Yeah, yeah, you can check out why Keith and the girl uh, really didn't like really it. Really didn't like it at all. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go see it, so don't. All right. Yeah. Okay. My Graham and I both liked it. We had to defend okay. it. We, yeah. had, we, we did. Had, we had to defend we, it. Yeah, every we, step of the way, we had we to had defend to, it. Yeah. It was basically our escape from New York. Right. We had to go to New York and, and fight our way out, uh, Snake Liston style. Wow. Um, so yeah, that was a really fun episode with Keith and the girl, so check that out. All right, guys. Thank you to our guest, Rob Cohen. My name is Graham Elwood. And I'm Chris Mancini. And as always, remember, Han Han shot shot first. first.